Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Bethel Church, uh, especially if this is your first time here, we're especially glad you're here, and if this is your home church, we're glad you're here too. So uh, most of you know me, if you don't, my name's Adam, I'm one of the associate pastors here, I oversee adult education. Uh, pastor Eric, our head pastor, uh, is elsewhere in the state today, and uh, kind of exciting news, he's uh, checking out a potential candidate for the worship and connections pastor position that we have here. Uh, so that's kind of exciting. He'll get to meet with him and uh, see him lead some worship. Uh, but if you do remember, please uh, remember to pray for our search committee. Uh, they're doing hard work uh, assessing out the candidates uh, who would like to be a part of our church here. Um, before we get started, uh, just some updates. Last week we had the Meet the Needy team come up here and talk about a need for more sponsors uh, for the children over in Ethiopia, and great news, we asked for 12, and we got 14. So uh, thank you guys so much for responding uh, so quickly, uh, and uh, just so help, heartfeltly to, to help with that. And uh, as Mark was talking, we got a youth team going to the Czech Republic. We're doing work uh, in Ethiopia here, and uh, I just wanted to take this opportunity to do something that we don't do uh, uh, probably often enough, is just encourage you guys uh, to be uh, praying for missionaries uh, as well. Uh, we have a lot of missionaries that are, are sent out from this church, uh, but there's, that's also a way that you can be involved in what God's doing around the world. Uh, if you watch the news, you know there's places in the world that it's really tough uh, to be a Christian right now. And even if you can't go yourself right now, even if uh, your finances are at the, the limit of where they are at with uh, giving to missions and that kind of thing, one thing we all can do is pray. Uh, so I'm going to give you two opportunities to respond to that. One, if you want to pray for one of the missionaries from our church, I just encourage you to write down on your bulletin, I want to pray for our missionaries. And uh, we'll make sure that that uh, note with your name, don't sign it and then not put your name on it. Uh, uh, we'll make sure that that zip strip gets to our missions team so that they can tell you uh, who to pray for and how to pray for our missionaries from Bethel. Uh, another way, though, uh, an organization I appreciated over the years is one called Operation World. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with them. They used to put out those big fat books of going through every country in the world with prayer requests. Well, obviously everything's online now. Uh, their website is on the, the sermon sheet. I think it's operationworld.org or .com, but it's there at the bottom of your sheet. So I just want to encourage you to do that. So uh, without further ado, let's jump into God's word here. Let's pray. Lord, what a, what a great day to be here. Lord, uh, you've given us beautiful weather, uh, beautiful summer season here. Uh, and you've given us a family here, Lord, a church family. Uh, we're opening your word now and uh, to a particularly challenging passage, I believe, Lord, in your word. I uh, pray for your help uh, in communicating uh, what's there, and I pray that you would be working in, in everyone's heart, Lord, to hear what they need to hear uh, from this passage, Lord, that we would glorify you more, uh, that we'd uh, learn to walk with you better. Uh, help us now as we open your word. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, this last week, I was thinking a little bit. Uh, we're in Psalms, which is kind of like the songbook of, of Israel. And I was thinking about the music of our culture, specifically pop music, say, in the past 50 years or so. And if you think about pop music, I generally think of something pretty upbeat, usually something that sounds happy at least. But when I started to think of some of my favorite songs from over the years, what kind of hit me is a lot of pop music in America 
actually has a lot of sad lyrics when you think about it. Uh, now, the first song that popped in my head is a song that was popular a long time ago. Some of you won't even know this song. Some of you will. Uh, it's Message in a Bottle by then the police, also Sting, if you know him. And uh, the lyrics of this upbeat, up-tempo song go, I'm going to sing it. I don't think Keith Payne's in the house, so that's probably okay. <laughs> Just a castaway, an island lost at sea, oh. Another lonely day, no one here but me, oh. More loneliness than any man could bear. Rescue me before I fall into despair. Okay, my singing's not great. Some of you, hey, new career for me, right? But think about it. A lot of you recognize that song, but those are some pretty sad lyrics. This is a song about a guy who feels isolated. Isolation, desert island, lonely, no one here but me. And you wouldn't think that this kind of lyric would be at the top of the charts, but it was a really popular song. And I started thinking about more songs. Another one that came to mind from many years later was a song called Ironic by Alanis Morissette. I will not sing it. I'll just read you some of her uh, not very cheery lyrics. Uh, it's like, this is from the chorus, it says, it's like rain on your wedding day. It's like a free ride when you already paid. It's the good advice you just didn't take. Who would have thought? Figure It figures. Good old Gen X song, right? But the topic of that song is, is we live in a fallen world and life does not turn out like you'd hope or expect very often. And if you go through your head just and think of pretty much any popular song, you're going to find there's just tons that have a sad, sad lyric. Yesterday by the Beatles, I Will Always Love You by Whitney Houston, you could probably name off thousands. Those are both about what? Broken relationships. Um, Photograph by the group Nickelback. Wake Me Up When September Ends uh, by Green Day. Those are both songs about growing older and the loss of simpler days. Song after song after song, these are some sad songs. And uh, I'm not up to uh, current music as much as the older stuff, right? But just for fun, I thought I'd look up the Billboard Top 100 in America this past week. And the number one song from the past week, any guesses? No? It's a song I didn't know. It's a song called Bad Blood by Taylor Swift. Okay, the lyrical genius of our time, right? <laughs> I never heard of this song before this week, but check out some of uh, Taylor Swift's lyrics here. I definitely won't sing this one. Band-Aids don't fix bullet holes. You say sorry just for show. If you live like that, you live with ghosts. If you love like that, your love runs cold. And now we've got problems. And I don't think we can solve them. You made a really deep cut. And baby, now we got bad blood. <laughs> okay, and some of you know the song, right? This is not, this number one song is not exactly a pick-you-up kind of song. This is a sad song. It's about... A young woman who's heartbroken that her boyfriend has basically stabbed her in the back, and it's the beginning of her end, she, beginning of the end. She realizes this relationship is as good as done, but I'm still in it. And who wants to hear songs like that? Well, apparently, yeah, someone said everybody. <laughs> A lot of people, right? This, this is the number one song. And when you think about why, it's because as human beings, we can relate. We can relate to the pain. And there's something strangely comforting about the fact that we know that there's someone else out there who's been betrayed or hurt or lonely uh, or had that kind of thing happen. 
And I would say that sad songs aren't a rarity in pop music. In fact, I think they're probably more than norm. I don't have any statistics to back that up. But just look at the lyrics sometimes. But what might surprise us as Christians is sad songs are not rare in Scripture either. There are tons of these in the book of Psalms. And we're in the series on Psalms this summer. And the particular genre or category of psalm that we're going to look at today is called the individual lament. Nice cheery topic for a beautiful sunny day here. In an individual lament, I'm going to define it as simply one person's cry of pain, calling out for help from God. A person in need, crying to God for help. And some of you can immediately relate to this. I mean, maybe you're someone, as bright and sunny as it is outside today, that you're going through your own personal struggle, and you've got some inner demons or some kind of dark inner war that you're waging that people might not even be aware of. And you can relate, and you say, yeah, I'm ready for this. Uh, send me in. Uh, others of you might say, hey, I just want to get to the, the barbecue and the river float later today. Uh, forget it. Uh, and you're tempted to tune out. Uh, don't, don't tune out. There's something valuable here. And then some of you are a third category, which I'll call homeowners, which you're thinking, talk about anything you want as long as I don't have to fix the porch this afternoon. I'll be here all day. Uh, but seriously, um, there's something valuable in these individual laments. Sometimes of our lives are wonderfully high, but there's other times that can be terribly low. The Psalms uh, intends to speak to all of those aspects of our lives, the highs and the lows. So this morning we're going to take on one of the individual laments that's in the book of Psalms, and we're going to ask the question, how should we as believers be praying when times are really hard? when we're in desperate need? What should our communication with God look like when things are really, really, really dark? And in taking on that question of how we should pray as Christians in really desperate times, uh, we're going to take on one psalm in particular. And I'm going to warn you up front, this psalm has a reputation uh, for being extremely dark. Uh, Bible commentators have variously said about the psalm that we're going to look at that it is, quote, stark, and lonely, and pain-riddled. That it is, quote again, unrelieved by a single ray of comfort or hope. That whoever devises from the scriptures a philosophy in which everything turns out right has to begin by tearing out this page of the volume. That it is, quote, an embarrassment to the conventional faith when everything works out just fine all the time. And the last one, it's the saddest psalm in the whole Psalter. And I was asked by someone this past week as I was preparing, they said, Adam, why on earth are you preaching on the darkest psalm in the book of Psalms? And I said, well, because it's the darkest psalm in the book of Psalms. And my point in saying that was, is life doesn't pull punches uh, on people. But scripture doesn't pull punches either. It goes into some dark and scary places where sometimes we'd rather not go but it does go there. And however uncomfortable this psalm might make us feel, it is still a part of Scripture. God has put, us, put this psalm before us in his word, and we need to deal with this particular tough passage. And I believe that our faith is, in Christ is robust enough that we can take on the tough stuff. So get ready to dive into some deep waters. The uh, individual lament that we're going to look at today is Psalm 88. If you want to open in your Bibles there, I'll give you a second to turn over there. Psalm 88. 
And we're going to start out by reading the whole thing. And then we're going to come back and answer that question. How should we be praying when we're in times of desperate need? Uh, I'll read through the whole thing here. And just just listen to the pain of this individual here uh, as we go through it here. Psalm 88 begins, O Lord, the God who saves me, day and night I cry out before you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. I'm set apart with the dead like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You've put me in the lowest pit, the darkest depth. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken from me my closest friends and made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and can't escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, O Lord. Every day I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I've been afflicted and close to death. I've suffered your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They've completely engulfed me. You've taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Well, there's uh, no sugarcoating this one, is there? Let's unpack a little bit and uh, answer that question of how should we pray when we are in desperate need? Well, let's look at first what the psalmist starts praying about. The first thing that he prays about and that we should be praying about is our situation. What are we going through? Well, what is the situation in Psalm 88 here? We don't know a whole lot about the author other than his name. Uh, it's He-Man, or He-Man, the Ezraite. Uh, many of the translations that you have there uh, probably have his name and a little inscription before verse 1. Uh, but we don't really know a lot about him or his life. And in fact, we don't even really know when he wrote this. There's a lot of speculation that perhaps this was during the time of Solomon. Uh, but we can't even pinpoint uh, the exact time. So all the information we're going to get about a situation has come directly from the psalm itself. And one thing that we can see from the psalm is that this psalm comes at a very critical point uh, in his life. This is no minor, quickly passing problem. Uh, Look at how often he refers to death or the pit or the grave. Uh, I'll just review here. Verses 3 to 5 say, For my soul is full of trouble and my life draws near the grave. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. I'm like a man without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave. There's this drumbeat uh, repetition here of death. Verses 10 to 12, the psalmist is kind of musing about what life is like after death. He says in verse 10, do you show your wonders to the dead? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? 
And in verse 15, again, he mentions his closeness to death here. He says, for a long time now from my youth, I have been afflicted and close to death. This guy, he man, the Ezraite, whoever he was, he's got death on the brain. It's like he's a dead man walking. He's just like, knows this is almost it. Uh, it's, I'm almost done. Uh, he's at a critical point and something's got to happen for him or he knows he's a goner. Now, one possibility is possible that he was suffering from some kind of long-term illness, right? That's speculation, but it could fit the details of what we see in the psalm. Verse 4 says, I'm like a man without strength. Uh, if he's referring to that more than just saying it poetically, uh, he might be referring to some physical malady where he was lacking strength. But illness would also fit with the fact that he feels isolated or he is isolated from other people. Verse 8 says, you've taken away my closest friends and made me repulsive to them. Verse 18, again, says, you've taken my companions and loved ones from me. Now, you might uh, be familiar with a little bit of Old Testament law that in, uh, in Old Testament times, there were certain diseases, particularly skin de- diseases like leprosy, that would quarantine you uh, from the rest of the community and kind of isolate you. Uh, you don't need to turn there. I'll just read from uh, Leviticus 13, reads about someone with leprosy and says, uh, as for the leper who has the infection, his clothes shall be torn, the hair of his head shall be uncovered. You shall cover his mustache and cry, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean all the days which he has the infection. He's unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So, uh, and to get leprosy in Old Testament times was uh, kind of like a double whammy. Not only were you terribly sick and ill, uh, but you were also isolated uh, from loved ones. So uh, in this case, in Psalm 88, are we definitively talking about someone with leprosy? We can't say for sure. We don't know. Uh, We just know that he was in some kind of life and death situation that was going on since his youth, and that he was isolated even from his closest friends and family members. And all those facts make into a perfect storm for his hopelessness. Hopelessness is seen by his repetition of the themes of darkness and not being able to see. Verse 6 says, you've put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. Again, the darkness being his hopelessness here. Verse 9 says, my eyes are dim with grief. Again, the dim eyes is this inability of, to have hope or to see a way out. Verse 12, he asks, are your wonders known in the place of darkness? This is that place that he feels very close to. And the whole psalm ends on this terrible note of hopelessness. The darkness is my closest friend. So the psalmist lays bare this very uh, serious problem, long-lasting, lonely, hopeless situation before God. But he doesn't just stop by just saying, these are the facts of where I'm at, God. Uh, He also teaches us that when we're in desperate need, we should pray not just about our situation, but also about God's silence, if that's something that we're going through at the time. And what I mean by God's silence here is... uh, Ezra, or human Ezraite, he had a bad situation. He knew God could fix it, but for whatever reason, God was taking his time and not solving it instantly. Verse 5 reads, uh, I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. And that's what he's saying here. It's like God's already uh, written him off even though he's not literally dead yet. 
And what seems especially frustrating to Heman is that God's unresponsiveness to him is despite all of his continual pleading and crying out to God over and over again. Verse 1 says, Day and night I cry out before you. This is this picture of constant prayer, right? Verse 9 says, I call to you, O Lord, every day. I've spread my hands out to you. But the real kicker for this comes in verses uh, 10 to 14. Uh, We have this series of rhetorical questions here that he's trying to make a contrast between himself and people who literally are already dead. He asks in verse 10, he says, do you show your wonders to the dead? And this is a rhetorical question. He's expecting God to to say no answer here. At least uh, God doesn't show his wonders in any way that's visible to those who are alive, right? Do those who are dead rise up and praise you? No. Is your love declared in the grave? No. Your faithfulness and destruction? No. Are your wonders known in the place of darkness? No. Your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? No. But I, emphasis here, but I, in contrast to all these people who are already dead, God, I cry to you for help, O Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, O Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? And the whole point of this very drawn-out series of, of rhetorical questions is to show that God ought to answer his plea because he's more than willing to receive his wonders and praise him and declare his love and his faithfulness to others in the land of the living. The dead people can't be going around telling in the land of the living what God has done for them. But since he's not dead yet, he could. He's been crying to God for help, and he'll keep on crying to God in the morning But he says, why won't you answer me, God? Why? Where are you when I need you? I've been doing my part. I've been calling out to you time and time again. Why won't you answer me? And these are some heavy questions. But it's worth noting here that the psalm uh, isn't really interested in answering the why questions here. Kind of just lets it hang uh, very uncomfortably and uh, flap around in the wind a little bit. It just lays it out. It doesn't give a reason for why. doesn't resolve it in a tidy way. But that's okay because that's actually the point of this particular psalm. By putting this unresolved cry for help uh, in Scripture, we know that there's some legitimacy to this kind of human experience. Feeling unheard by God is somewhere on the map of our spiritual experience. And we know there's a lot of other passages in Scripture. This isn't the most part of our walk with God, hopefully, for a lot of us. It's not the only part. There are a lot of great parts. There's a lot of Christ has risen from the dead. But this is one part of a path that God might have us on. And some of us might have to walk that path a little bit longer than others. But just like you get comfort from hearing a sad song in which someone else has felt pain similar to your own, There's an odd comfort in knowing that others have experienced what felt like silence from God. Uh, I remember uh, a long time ago, uh, I was a young believer, new believer, and uh, I had experienced something very painful, um, something that made me angry at other people and angry at God about. And uh, in my frustration, I got on my bike and rode it for miles and miles to a park that was... uh, in the area where I lived, and I remember sitting down next to a duck pond, no one else around, 
Um, I was just pouring my heart out to God in prayer. And um, I did what any young believer, full of emotion, uh, full of anger would do. I asked God for a sign. I, I threw down an ultimatum and said, God, you, I need to hear from you. And I need to hear from you now. Help me make sense of this. And I was very specific about the, the sign that I wanted. And uh, I waited there at the pond. And God didn't jump through the hoops that I put out for him. He didn't answer. And not only that, uh, I didn't open my Bible and find an encouraging word that just fit my situation perfectly. Uh, I didn't get an email from someone who said something that mysteriously fit what my situation was. Uh, And I didn't get a text message because they didn't exist back then. Uh, But my point is, uh, there are times when God won't answer us and maybe not for a season. Now, I've, I've made some sense of why God was quiet to me at that time and the things that he taught me through that. But again, that's, that's not really the point. The point I want to make here is that this is a legitimate experience even for believers of God from time to time. Now, there's one last point that I want to see here to tie these two things together here. I initially started out by asking, how should we pray when we're in desperate, desperate need but really what I've been talking about is what should we pray for? We should pray for our situation. We should pray about God's silence. But how should we pray? I believe there's a common thread uh, between these two things that I hope we can see here. And that one thing is honesty. How should we pray when we're in desperate need? We should pray with brutal honesty. Look at this so far on the psalm. So far, the psalmist hasn't held back in describing how serious his situation is. He hasn't held back from the frustration he's felt in not hearing from God. But consider, too, in the other parts of the psalm, that he's rather bold for holding God responsible for the problem that he's currently facing. And this is, I'll admit, this is an uncomfortable part of Scripture to even read. But it's there, and it's there and pretty loud, too. Uh, Read with me in verse 6. He says, You have put me in the lowest pit, the darkest steps. Your wrath lies heavily upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all your ways. You have taken from me my closest friends and made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. Verse 15, I've suffered your tears and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They've completely engulfed me. You have taken my companions and loved ones from me. And right or wrong, uh, the psalmist sees God as his adversary. And ironically, he also sees him as his only hope out of this mess, right? Uh, one, the words of one communi- uh, commentator said, he has no option but to deal with Yahweh, even in the silence of divine absence. And as bold as this psalmist is to point the finger at God, We don't see him getting corrected here uh, in Psalm 88. Uh, Job went through uh, a similar trial, I would say, uh, something very protracted and very serious. And we do see Job getting corrected. uh, But then again, we have more of the picture in the book of Job. Here, we just get a snapshot. And that snapshot gives us this picture of very naked and bold honesty before God. Honesty is the hallmark of our prayers 
in troubled times. How should we pray when we're going through really hard times? You pray with bold honesty. To put it another way, brutal times call for brutally honest prayers. So let's talk application here. Uh, First off, question for all of us, how honest are we in our prayers with God? Do you feel the freedom to bear your heart before God and to share with him what you really think? Uh, Can you ask him the hard questions? Can you explore the dark closets of your mind and emotions that you don't even want to acknowledge exist? Or do you feel like you have to put on a disguise like that would work before God? Let me tell you something. Uh, God already knows what we're thinking, and there's a great freedom in that. There's a huge freedom. And knowing that God already knows anything in our minds, anything in our hearts, and he loves us still. He's not shocked by our questions. He understands. Who else do you have that you can go to with that kind of honesty and acceptance? So the first application for all of us is to pray before God with honesty. I don't mean flippancy. I don't mean disrespect to God. This is, this is God. He made us. We belong to him. But I do mean to pray with honesty. Second application is uh, to ask the question, how open are we as Christians in recognizing that there is something that people have sometimes referred to as the dark night of the soul, a season where God seems far away and like he's not answering prayers? Do we have a robust enough faith uh, to allow this kind of experience in our lives or in other people's lives where we acknowledge that that's real? Or do we try to just push it away like it doesn't really exist in anyone's life? Is our faith so fragile that it'll break when the first storm hits us? Uh, we know from 1 Peter 1.7, it says that trials come so that our faith may be proved genuine and result in God's praise. Isaiah says, speaking about the Messiah, Jesus, that he was a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. For some of us, our application point might be to expand our theology and realize that our faith is not dependent upon having good circumstances all the time, even if that means that there's, there could be a time of silence from God. And I'll say this to parents, too, that we need to be teaching our kids this, too. Uh, we don't want to sell them uh, a false gospel of things are great all the time and just getting better and better in the here and now. There are dark times. There are hard times. Uh, what Jesus said take up your cross and follow me. He wasn't joking about the cross part. Uh, He wasn't joking about the persecution part. Uh, We want to be telling people the truth. We do them a disservice if we try to sell them a crossless gospel. Lastly, uh, for application point is just to ask you guys if you know anyone who's going through a dark night of the soul right now, this time uh, when they're not really hearing from God and they feel isolated and unheard And if that's the case, I don't have this in my notes here, but what are you going to do about it? Uh, If I can put it like that. There's a time and place to reach out and to love those people and to care care for those people. And I know that the temptation can be there is, oh, man, it's just, I want to surround myself with happy people and people are going through the good. Uh, But we need to step in. Jesus was not afraid to step into our sorrow, our pain, to help us, and we need to be there 
and be like him uh, to our brothers and sisters. Maybe you know someone uh, that's popping up in your mind right now and you need to take them out for coffee. Uh, For others of you, maybe you don't know anyone. Well, like I said, another application could be to fill out your zip strip and, and say, I want to pray for our missionaries or go to Operation World and start praying for other believers who are around the world and who are going through harder times. Uh, So those are our application points. And I want to just end this sermon uh, by quoting uh, commentator Walter Brueggemann, and he says, Psalms like this lead us into the presence of God where everything is not polite and civil. They cause us to think unthinkable thoughts and utter unutterable words. Psalm 88 stands as a mark of realism for biblical faith. There are situations in which easy, cheap talk of resolution must be avoided. Here are words not to be used frequently, but for the limit experiences when words must be honest and not claim too much. Let's pray. Lord, you know your people. You know every single one of us here. And uh, my hope is that not many people are experiencing this kind of darkness right now and that uh, many will not have to, Lord. Uh, But I thank you that you've put this very dark psalm in your word to let us know that this is somewhere on the map of spiritual experience and it's not unusual. And that even though uh, Heman the Ezraite, whoever he was, didn't feel like he was hearing from you, Lord, he was still calling out to you. We declare, Lord, you are faithful. You are good. And we thank you, Lord, that you can handle uh, even our most brutal honesty. Thanks for loving us. Pray in Jesus' name.